I'm here with Jason Craig, a co-founder of Fraternus, an author of a new book, Leaving Boyhood Behind. And you've just uh, completed a series with EWTN, Rite of Passage, right? And you give a beautiful message uh, for men and, and about growing into masculinity. First, let's start with what's the problem out there? What do you see as the problem? Right, well, there's, uh, you and I were discussing before, mm -hmm. is we can easily come up with lots of complaints about men today from all of the extremes, if it's violence uh, or passivity. So if, are they barbarians, are they wimps, are they brutes, are they brats? Um, and if we were going to sum up all of those things, uh, or as a, if the way that I like to try to sum them up is it's immaturity. That's the problem ultimately is immaturity. And the way we can come to that sort of formulation is that we know Christ is the perfect man. And St. Paul says in Ephesians that we are to grow into the perfect manhood of Christ. So if he's, he's perfect, he's, he's masked and he's actually, he's a man. It matters that Christ. Uh, that God incarnate was male, right? That, that there's reflection there that's important for us, especially obviously as men, um, that if we're either on it, some of these extremes of violence or passivity or wimpiness or barbaric, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, it's a failure of maturity that we ha haven't become yeah. more Christ-like. So, and, and we haven't become more manly in these things. And let me ask you, why is it that it seems like women, you know, we always say they mature quicker, they seem to, I was just watching a video. I saw a video of myself, like when I was eighth or ninth grade, talking to these girls in my class. There was like four of us, and I, I just thought they just look so much more mature. Than <laughs> <I did."> yeah. <laughs> Why is that? Well, it's interesting. Um, you know, the phrase "rites of passage" refers to all sorts of transitions that cultures use, from like death to marriage. But it sticks out in our head when it's applied to boys becoming men because. All societies had that, and they not all of them had uh, rites of passage for girls. And the reason is, is that within a woman's body, well, let's back up. For both men and women, their maturity goes towards being bringing forth life. So for a father, it's becoming paternal. For a woman, it's becoming maternal. So a, uh, a That's woman. That's a good definition. Yeah, so a woman, very early on in her body, in her adolescence, we don't need to go into detail, but we all mm -hmm. know she's reminded every single month mm -hmm. of her sort of uh, identity and her vocation that I will be a mother, that I am capable of bringing forth life. And then in their, in sometimes in their young years, they might even bring forth life and have a baby. And that that maturity is felt in their flesh. It's inside of them. It's visible. It's visceral. Uh, and when it occurs, something else that happens is it necessarily unites them with the older uh, image, you know, the older women, because if they start having, for example, menstruation, they can't go to the men. The men are no help. Mm -hmm. So it, it also naturally brings a bond between mm -hmm. generations. This sort of, so it's the logic of their body brings yeah. about maturity. Yeah. For boys, it's like a suffering you have to deal with. You How do have I deal to with, deal it? with it. And it's related yeah. to your identity as a mother. Yeah. So, Boys, on the other hand, they're growing in strength, but nothing naturally within them orients it towards mm -hmm. actually caring in a paternal way. There mm -hmm. might be a sexual drive, right? But that doesn't necessarily result for the boy mm -hmm. um, becoming, understanding himself as father. So a lot of people probably know unwed teenage children, you know, mm -hmm. that they get pregnant. And all of a sudden the, the, the woman is now taking care of, she's being motherly. And the boy is still running around acting a fool, as they right. say, because 
what he he hasn't gone through the transition. Mm-hmm. Um, so, to back to your question, is the reason uh, boys need this more, not girls, is that it doesn't happen naturally. Mm. There's sort of something that has to be intentionally done uh, with his relationship with his fathers and the, the men in the community and his yeah. sort of tribe uh, to help bring about that maturity. And I've heard it described too, just psychologically. The boy is born, he's got this natural closeness with the mother, being fed, cared for, but he doesn't find his identity in her. He's got to find his identity in that hairy guy sitting on the sofa watching football. So he's got to transfer, he's got to make that journey. Right. So boys and girls in their their childhood, in a certain way, we we call them women and children, right? We don't even distinguish, we don't say women, boys, and girls. We Mm. say, you know, if there's a boat going down, it's sinking. Women and children first, you know, they're together. And they're all sort of the same thing. There's something mm-hmm. almost feminine in a good way about even uh, boys in the, under the care of, of their mm-hmm. mother. But then as they grow older, so the, the, a girl would grow in more and more likeness to the mother. Mm-hmm. A boy grows more and more unlike her, mm-hmm. right? So there's a lot of tension sometimes in the adult. Or there can be two extremes. There can be hypertension where like, mm-hmm. man, I, a mother might say, when he was nine, we just, he was like my sweetheart. And now he's 12 and he's talking back and he's this and that. And yeah. he's feeling a frustration within himself that I'm unlike her. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, there can be the other side, which is he tries to be like her. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, he errs towards the feminine. Um, right. And the, the rite of passage sort of helps him put away, um, you know, in a sense, the possibility of femininity within him. Not that it's bad, but that he's not mm-hmm. a female. Mm-hmm. Um, and it helps him to grasp and grapple with and understand his own mm-hmm. masculinity but he's got to put away that those that's, that's why the book is called leaving boyhood behind and say i got that from saint paul when he says when i was a child i thought like mm-hmm. a child acted like a child but when i became a man i put away childish things so we have to right. leave those things behind right. and a big part of that is to leave behind the world of the caring mother yeah yeah um, some people have put it he has to he has to leave the mother behind. He has to stop being mothered so that he can become a father. Right. right. How would you describe, like, uh, just from your experience, observations, the masculine genius? Right. I, well, I, I'm somewhat reluctant to try to borrow the language. Because <laughs> uh, you're right, the feminine genius, in a certain way, I think what we've tried to do with that is say that, you know, we've recognized the genius of man so much, let's recognize the genius mm. of women. But if Obviously, if there's something that is distinct, because I, I think when we say feminine genius, hopefully we're talking about something that's not just, look, they can, they're as good as we are, but mm-hmm. as in a sense of look at the unique genius right. that comes because of their being feminine. Mm-hmm. So us men, I think if, if there was something that is uniquely ours, you know, the, that I think women have a unique, John Paul in a reflection on Our Lady said this, they have a unique ability to bring into wholeness mm-hmm. a family, sort of. The only time Jesus refers to himself in the feminine is when he says, I wish I was like a mother hen, mm-hmm. you know, to gather mm-hmm. you in. And that's something that's a great maternal yeah. about. He doesn't yeah. refer to himself in the feminine yeah. ever yeah. except in that yeah. moment. Um, but for men in, in Christ, in the rest of Christ's mm-hmm. life, and the reason I think that God did become man and dwell among us as a male, as a man, was that our genius is our strength. Mm-hmm. Our genius gives us the capability of, uh, of a, an endurance and a sacrifice. And this is obviously not, this is not totally unique because if anyone who's watched your, their wife give birth knows that yeah, a woman yeah. has endurance and strength. Yeah. But 
there's a sacrificial strength, whereas, you know, the, the classic example of if I'm in, the, in a room at night with my wife and some mm -hmm. babies and we hear a noise outside, mm -hmm. it becomes very obvious in that moment that it's my strength that should go mm -hmm. and make sure everything's okay. Mm -hmm. So I think our, our genius is in protecting and guiding and leading. Mm -hmm. And then obviously we know certainly that can be abused mm -hmm. uh, in the form of the tyrant or the, you know, whatever. But the truth in that is still manifest. Everyone still, yeah. I mean, we have this within yeah. us. Yeah, and like you said, there's a great endurance with women. They actually, I think statistically, like they survive starvation and extreme conditions better. Like there's this endurance quality about them. But with men, it, I heard a one woman philosopher put it, it's almost like, like they use their body almost like to test things, like a young boy will see how high this is, he'll throw himself off the roof yeah. or whatever. <laughs> you always have this testing and pushing. There's some kind of you know, movement in him just to go out. Well, you're, you're saying go, the good, I think the distinction mm -hmm. in the endurance, um, and yeah, I can just affirm that, so when I teach, if I've teach, taught people to milk cows on our mm -hmm. farm, uh, the boys inevitably give up, and the girls yeah. usually make it to the end, because oh. milking a cow takes a lot of patience, if you've oh. never done it before. <laughs> um, but anyway, the, the masculine endurance is outward, mm -hmm. right? So remember, where I was talking about the, the, so you know, think about, we call ships, uh, her, you know, it's a she. Mm -hmm. We call the earth Mother Earth. Mm -hmm. You know, the church is a is a mother, and you picture Saint Peter is gathering all these people, and there's this pulling inward, yeah. you know, into communion. The colonnade the, with the arms. Yes, on Saint yeah. Peter's square. Yeah. Them in. Yeah. And this is what a mother does in the home. Have you ever watched some um, a mother in the store? She goes like this, right? Uh -huh. She's like hurting them. Oh, well, we're on the radio. You can't yeah. hear on this. You can't hear, but yeah. she's hurting them. You know, making sure yeah. they're going in the right direction. The difference between the fatherly endurance and strength is it's outward. Mm. So if you go to a hardware store on a Saturday, if his father has his kids, he's like beelining towards the goal. Right. And his kids are in tow behind him. If you go to a grocery store with the same kids, the mother is kind of herding <laughs> them around. It's a, the, so the, the strength of a man is oriented somewhat outward to a mission, yeah. so, you know, to, to go for That's why the hero's journey, a famous... Yeah. Uh, Let me just, that's a great point. About, I remember as a young kid, like nine, eight years old, my dad... We'd go to the Sears store, go to the hardware, and I always remember he would go and be looking at something, and I'd always be kind of like behind him. You're trying, trying to, to keep up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly That's right. a great point. I love, yeah. going, I love it at the hardware store. The kid is, is he's on the end, and this is a really good image for us to think about the problem today is that the kid is running after the father. Mm -hmm. Like, don't leave me, Dad. Like, take yeah. me on your adventure. Yeah. And the problem that I think is causing a lot of our immaturity is we're saying, no, stay home. You're not ready for this. And we're, obviously there's a time where that's true, but yeah, that yeah. goes too long. Right. And then the mother cannot help. When something is left in her care, she brings it into, you know, it brings it into her bosom, into her, into her right. care. Yeah. And she treats it like a little baby chick. Mm -hmm. And that if that little baby chick is actually a grown rooster, mm -hmm. um, if he starts acting cocky, yeah. she still yeah. wants him to be right. Uh, right. a chick, yeah. you know. So it, it's a... I think the image of that father in the hardware store yeah. is a good one. The, the, the boy wants to be trailing behind and yeah. take me with you and give me the tools of the trade and yeah. show me what you're doing. I want to do yeah. something. I interrupted. you remember what you were saying before? Oh, I think I brought it around. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But think, what, is our, what does uh, Jesus say when, he, when he's lost? So he's gone uh -huh. from Mary, right? Mm -hmm. He's gone three days in Jerusalem mm -hmm. in the image of death. Something has changed. Yeah. And she finds him. You know, what does he say? I must be about my father's 
business, you know, right. his work. It's his work. You know, Jesus, there's this mission and that in, in the book, that is, St. Luke is very clear that that moment is actually Jesus' rite of passage. That wow. Because in, in Luke, he always refers to Jesus as infant Jesus or boy Jesus yeah. up to that point. Yeah. Um, and then after that occurrence is when he begins referring to him as just Jesus. So wow. when, she, when she finds him, how could you do this? Like, come back to me. Mm-hmm. And he says, I must be about my father's business. You know, how did you not know I was here? It's time yeah. for me. And he associates with the father's mission at that point. And she's silent, not in, because she was rebuked and she's just keeping her mouth shut, but because she's pondering in her heart, which the scripture says. And she accepts this about him, that he must be about his father's business. So she is accepting. Yeah. So then later when someone in the gospel says, you know, as the old translations, blessed are the paps that gave thee suck. You know, blessed uh-huh. is the woman that nursed you. Uh-huh. He says, no, rather blessed is he who hears the word of God and keeps it, which is Mary. She keeps yeah. it in her heart, yeah. but also accepts that he, when he's a man and his mission is with the father. So she's, yeah. this is why the mother might tend towards holding Mm-hmm. the child back but Mary is a, is a perfect image of motherhood obviously mm-hmm. she releases the son fully to the mission of the father doesn't yeah. hold him back at all in fact yeah. some uh, Fulton J. Sheen says at the wedding feast of Cana she almost hastened it along a little bit that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, by asking him to perform this miracle to yeah. say well this is the beginning of the end you know that my yeah. mission and then at Calvary you know, to be at the foot of the cross she's right there yeah and lovingly Vatican II described lovingly consenting in the immolation of her son according to the Father's plan. That, and that's an incredible... Right, consenting to the yeah. Father's plan. Yeah. Right? She doesn't try to hold him back. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I think, too, like looking at the different gifts, you, you see, like, women, they're more relational, you know, the common experience. They're trying to refute this in data now, but women talk more. I think that's everybody's <laughs> coming. <laughs> yeah, they have more relational gifts. Here we are. We're the ones talking about right now. <laughs> but it's like, you know, they perceive, they pick up nonverbals better generally, oftentimes have a higher emotional intelligence. It's like all this kind of relational stuff, and that's like their gift, you know, and that's, that's the world that the, they're going to work in, mm-hmm. the relationship. Well, that's that bringing into wholeness. That yeah. Keep going back. I mean, that's what yeah. they do. That the, the communion and relationship amongst. Right. Um, but but for the men, there's something priestly. You know, there, there's a, only uh, men can be priests, but only priests can be men. Mm-hmm. Right. Every man is in a sense singled out from that wholeness of the feminine. Right. He's he's pulled out of it. Why? Yeah. To offer sacrifice. Yeah. That's like. When a man leaves to go and provide for his family, mm-hmm. you know, he leaves the wholeness of the home. And provided it doesn't become distorted where his identity is at work, he's providing for the home. Yeah. That sacrifice, in a sense, yeah. that's his, you know, that's his mass to right. go out and to offer the sacrifice of his labor, yeah. his work himself, yeah. just like Christ offered himself on the cross. But then he's got to come home with it. Yeah. You know, yeah. he's got to. Yeah. So, yeah, they have that relationship. And, and my wife is, you know, all wives. Are, most husbands will tell you that, hey, you need to be attentive. You know, John over here is feeling this way and that way. Yeah. And I'm like, huh, what? Yeah. You know, like, okay. <laughs> they sort of point out the needs of the family to the father. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. So how about the, the current situation? If you had to describe what you see in the cultural landscape, the crisis of masculinity, how do you identify it? And we'll start talking solutions. <laughs> sure. Well, I do. I mean, again, I go back to the, I think it's a matter 
of immaturity. Uh, and I think the immaturity is caused because there's intergenerational breakdowns. Mm -hmm. So if we're, we, were, we were in nodding agreement that a man to become a man becomes paternal in some way. He becomes a father. But that, uh, you know, the church would say the only reason we call God the father is in relationship to the son. And the only reason we call God the son, the son is in relationship to the father, that the relationship creates the identity, right? Mm -hmm. So if we men are divided from each other as brothers, if we're divided from our children, sons, mm -hmm. and, and then sons as fathers, mm -hmm. when you divide those, then we literally can't grasp. Our identities become unintelligible. We can't, we can't know and understand ourselves. We can't know and understand our purpose. Yeah. So, of course, we kind of cave in on ourselves. We, mm -hmm. you know, we become narcissists and mm -hmm. self-absorbed jerks because mm -hmm. we collapse in on ourselves. When, right. when, I, when, I don't, when, the, when the son doesn't see his father, the father doesn't see his son, and they're you know, giving each other the, the properly in love, yeah. then we turn back on ourselves. And it seems like the women have oxytocin, all this stuff. They have the child. They're just naturally, even the most... I mean, literally, I was watching one of these, you know, true life, you know, these forensic file thing about a murder. I don't know if you, you probably don't have television. But <laughs> <laughs> like these teenage girls killed somebody. They had somebody killed, and yet she was pregnant, and everybody was saying, you're a great mom. She gets, she gets convicted 10 years later. But they were, I was struck by the fact that even people that hated her said, well, you know, she was a good mom. Yeah. <laughs> and there's like all this natural stuff in them to make them a good mom. Yeah. It's like you said, so they're, they're, they're naturally connected. They can become that mother. So the guy gets someone pregnant, and they're not married. So he gets, there's problems. He winds up spinning off, so he doesn't develop the yeah. paternity. Yeah, he, well, he's, the great thing about brotherhood, of cultural brotherhood, is that the men can grab a little boy who got a girl pregnant mm -hmm. and shake him up and yeah. say, hey, buddy, let me tell you what your duty is now. Yeah. And put him right back yeah. where, yeah. You know, since where he belongs. Yeah. But yeah, there's, it's the great way to think about it is that maternity comes naturally. Right. The baby comes out of you, grows inside of you, comes out, mm -hmm. and then nurses on you. It's like, right. you're like one flesh. It's very yeah. easy. Right. The fatherhood must be chosen. Yeah. You have to make the intentional choice. I mean, you know, you have a vocation mm -hmm. that included a huge act of the will and mm -hmm. a knowing, um, you know, uh, intellectual, you know, emotional, psychological mm -hmm. choosing mm -hmm. of this. Whereas yeah. a lot of men, um, and I think in times past, there was things that were culturally natural, meaning yeah. you lived on the farm. Right. You, you, you saw that these children needed food and you worked to provide for them. Yeah. You know, that bound you to them. You know, husband right. means housebound. You know, yeah. you're bound to that mm -hmm. household. Um, Whereas now us men are not bound to our households and mm. we're even encouraged to pursue our own, you know, desires and wants even independent of the household. And yeah. In fact, if I'm not happy anymore in the household, I'll go get a new one. Yeah. Um, so anyway, the, to your point about there's some, even the, this, the woman you're using the, the example of, she's a yeah. murderer, <laughs> she, but she's a great mom. <laughs> Is it come, It does come naturally. Is for yeah. men have to be yeah. taught this. There's yeah. something in us. Maybe it's that outwardness. You know that yeah. we're so outward we wander off. Yeah. You know we've yeah. got to be refocused right. back yeah. to uh, our mission. And what have, what have you found? I know you give like retreats on the where you live. What is what do you see as like the essence of being effective? Like forming men that doing stuff. Doing stuff. 
doing stuff that's inherently um, meaningful, that has a connection to them being men. Um, you know, I got this idea. Anthony Eslin wrote an article one time, and I just remember he said, you know, there's, there's nothing like a crosscut saw to show the difference between men and women. And uh, what he's meaning is it's not impossible for women to use a crosscut saw. Mm-hmm. However, men have a greater upper body strength mm-hmm. generally. I'm still allowed That's to say that, right? Pulling on yeah. The, so, <laughs> so a two-man crosscut saw, yeah. two men have to be on both sides of a log. Yeah. And one of them has to pull, and the other one kind of guides. But he can't push. He's got to rely yeah. on, the, on his, you know, when that other guy is pulling, he's got to rely on that man to pull his weight. Right. And then that one's got to rely. And if you've ever seen two men using a crosscut saw, and this, it's a, there's a harmony and a beauty in their work and their strength that's um, really – Good and I, so I read that article and then one day I was digging in my garden and the house, our last farm it's not where we are now it was a hundred uh, year old farmhouse and I was digging the garden and I found a seven foot crosscut saw hmm. and uh, I just had this image of these two men it required two men like yeah. it was two men using this saw yeah. using it to cut the the beams for my house that yeah. I was living in right yeah. now that their strength was oriented right there and I'm like carrying this tradition on in this garden and it was just this so on the retreats we have you know i have a chainsaw it's much faster than a crosscut mm-hmm. saw and i can do it by myself but mm-hmm. um it's loud and you can't talk and all this stuff but you get a group of men cutting yeah. with a crosscut saw and then splitting the wood up and yeah. then we use the wood to um cook the pig with and there's this heart there's this kind of integration of everything mm-hmm. our, our work our strength our activity and then the conversation comes much more naturally Whereas a lot of times you might think of a men's retreat. We're going to have a talk, mm-hmm. and then here's five questions I want you to discuss as a men's, as yeah, a small group. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, maybe there's places for things like that, but yeah. men have their guard on artificiality. They Sometimes right. they're not quite there, and there's nothing like doing, experiencing something together yeah. that just, it just comes naturally. You know, it just. Yeah, it's like women can smooth over the awkwardness. Yeah, and men it. aren't good at that. Yeah. Well, you know, we're. We've learned to be not vulnerable, which is a word, yeah. you know, even using that word is dangerous. People might think I mean weakness, but I mean, yeah. no, I mean, they like the phrase iron sharpens iron. So one mm-hmm. man must sharpen it. Well, it means you're dull. Mm-hmm. You need sharpening. And yeah. if you need sharpening, you have a vulnerability. Yeah. And uh, it's okay to say that, yeah. you know, it's okay yeah. to say you have a vulnerability. Yeah. But so as far as what do you do with these mm-hmm. guys is, I think, get them together. So you would have like, how many people would come to your farm? Well, we like, I mean, the retreats typically are 15 to 20 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've done some. We did a big group for Birmingham, mm-hmm. uh, which is what the show, the, the show kind of filmed. Mm-hmm. And we have talks. I mean, we sit down, we, we present this material, mm-hmm. um, but then we try to let the experience itself really pull, you know, pull its own weight, so to speak, pull yeah. the own saw. Yeah. Um, but we, we kill a pig. We have some talks. We you do. split you the wood. Use a gun. Uh, yeah, we 22 in the forehead. Like, yeah. And then a knife in the throat, yeah. and uh, and then it. I like doing the hog because um, at, on retreats is because um, you know we were discussing before that men are in this kind of stupor. They're 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 lonely. They're a kind of dull and cloudy in their minds, or they're self-absorbed. Like something's going on, and if something happens when the bullet goes in the forehead of a pig, <laughs> that shakes people out of complacency out of it just kind of shocks the system mm-hmm. where like all of a sudden you see viscerally the that the, the order of creation in the cosmos itself is that things die so that I could live yeah 
and that all of a sudden there's something satisfying fulfilling right yeah like and, the, and, and it, it's hard and it's good yeah. I'm like I tell people death is not something we're supposed to delight in even the mm -hmm. animal I mean, there's no cruelty mm -hmm. we don't want to be cruel even if we're mm -hmm. you know we are killing this animal but there's something about seeing it die and then going through the process of preparation and then it's all oriented towards a meal together mm -hmm. so it's this real cultural expression um, and in the best instances on retreats, we have some guys bring music, and there's there's music, and there's fire, and we're feasting on this pig that we've been working. Because the way we do it is we kill it on Friday night. Mm -hmm. uh, but we don't eat meat on Friday, so that's for the next mm -hmm. day. But we cool it overnight, and then we, um, about 5 a.m., put it on a slow coal cooking grill that we mm -hmm. actually make out of mm -hmm. cinder blocks. It's very crude. Um, and then all day, part of splitting the wood is... Is burning, mm. is burning that wood to keep the pig cooking all day, mm. and then at five o'clock you're eating. So really, all we've done all weekend mm -hmm. is this very normal, natural thing of preparing food. But yeah. that's the kind of the center of human culture, and doing yeah. that with the context of you know these talks and this material yeah. achieves a lot yeah. in a short amount of time. Yeah. Now, what's some of the material in the talks you would present to them? Like, what's a theme that they like resonates and seems to speak into struggles and well stuff. we I use the theme that's in the book that the book is framed around which is the rites of passage in that there's so we first we define what it means and we make the distinction that a boy is not a man and a man is not, that they're two different things and that you need to transition from one to the other one um, and then the next three talks focus on the parts of a rite of passage and every man who's come through, I mean, it's myself. I'm not some mm -hmm. expert, aloof and above all mm -hmm. these things. I mean, they're within me. Um, can often feel in certain insecurities about different parts of a rite of passage. So it might be a disordered attachment to his mother. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's a lot of marriages that suffer because the man, sweetie, I got to go out and call my mom. Like, yeah. You just talked to her yesterday. Yeah, I need yeah. to check in with her, yeah. you know. Um, then the second one, the second stage of the rite of passage is the receiving of the identity, sort of the challenging and painful experience that you went through and you endured it like a boot camp or something. And, and for a lot of men, they say, you know, I've never, I've never really been through anything, you know, so mm -hmm. that might be there. And then the last one is to be, the last stage of rite of passage is to be brought into brotherhood. So that's living in a, in a loving, confirming, uh, life-giving brotherhood, which we need. In fact, I mean, the church... You know, a lot of people talk about discipleship, and you know, that's a pretty mm -hmm. popular word right now. But as far as I have found, and I might be corrected here, is that the word in the New Testament, the word disciple stops being used after Acts in mm -hmm. all of the epistles and in, in the letters of John and everything. Mm -hmm. After that, refer to the community as a fraternity, as a brotherhood. Mm -hmm. um, so it's this, this fraternal bond is something unique. And that's because, I think, as they reflected on Christ, because disciple is what people called anyone who followed the certain, you know, so Paul can have a mm -hmm. disciple and mm -hmm. Jesus can have a disciple. But the Christian fraternity, the Christian brotherhood comes from the fact that Christ is our brother. That mm. The book of Hebrews says he was not ashamed to be called our brother. Mm. So I think that last part of it can hit a lot of people is that men are super lonely, isolated, suffering in their own sins. Um, and if we don't have brotherhood, it can be a real danger. Even the men that are faithful Catholics that, you know, because uh, auricular confession is, is between them and the priest, they literally, they, of course they need to confess. 
but they, they, they don't realize that everyone else in that line has the same sin. And uh -huh. you guys could, yeah. you know, the sins of lust and pornography and those uh -huh. things could really be overcome. That's why things like Exodus 90, the primary reason it works is because it brings men into some sort of fraternal accountability. Mm. So anyway, the talks, the material goes through each one of those things and we sort of examine within ourself. Mm -hmm. um, and it brings up just great discussions where, I mean, it, it's amazing to me. Um, this is these, this rite of passage is obviously not my idea. I didn't come mm -hmm. up with this. We ju I just sort of integrated it, it, came to an understanding of it within Revelation. But it is a natural thing, which means it, it's mm -hmm. true. Mm -hmm. um, and it's something we need. In these stages, every man who's secure in who he is uh, goes through these things. So mm -hmm. by just presenting those things, we don't have to talk about battle, rah, rah, fight, man. Mm -hmm. stu it's, not a, it's not a theme. Yeah. This is what it takes, guys. Yeah. If you're yeah. going to be a man, these things have happened or right. they need to. Right. So that really hits home. Um, that, I guess so. that's the material. And then yeah. the good thing is we do that in the context. It's some heavy stuff sometimes, you mm -hmm. know, and having being able to split wood after that for a little while is uh, it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. So go on a hike. Yeah. So, like, practically, like, to form, like, intentional friendships, um, what do you recommend, like, guys living in modern society? Hmm. What's a good vehicle for that? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's hard because it yeah. seems like, um, well, I know for uh, statistically and, and demographically, uh, white, older males, so like suburban dads, are the loneliest. Hmm. Um, they have... So in the book, one of the studies that I talk about is like um, impoverished African-American males versus wealthy white males. The, the African-American males are much, in a sense, happier, with less stress because mm. they have stronger bonds um, mm. oftentimes in their community, whereas um, wealthier white males have higher levels of stress because of their isolation. Yeah. So And it's like the highest group, fastest growing rate of drug addiction. Mm-hmm. I think fastest I suicide. 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 I was going to say I would yeah. Men are, um, oh, women do attempt suicide. What? So men get it done. They actually <laughs> achieve. A lot of times women don't achieve the ends yeah. of attempting suicide. Yeah. Men are, appear to be better at it. Yeah. Um, but to practically speaking, they, I want to say they just need to get together. That's true. They just need to be together. Mm -hmm. But I've only seen brotherhood really take off when men achieve a certain ability of vulnerability that mm -hmm. they're able to say because a lot of times Catholic men especially solid orthodox Catholic men they like to get together and talk about and sort of hint at how everything's going well mm -hmm. which is really like I don't really need help thinking well of myself right. what I need help with is the places where I'm struggling so I've had you know the, the practical things of I need advice because I'm not getting along with my wife very well. Right. You know, those sort of things. And a lot of us just aren't open to that. But yeah. it, it's a foolish thing because if you look at religious orders, you look at healthy communities, you look at the, the, the fathers of the church, the way that they write about one another, uh -huh. um, knowing each other's struggles, you know, mm -hmm. when, when James says confess your sins to one another. and I mean, we don't even know sometimes the suffering of the guy next to us in the pew. And we don't know it. So I think until we're willing to be 
trustworthy friends with one another, which means a certain level of vulnerability. That's yeah, it's hard. But I know I'm I'm tentative to even bring that up because men can see that as what you want me to show my weakness. You want me to do mm-hmm. this? Like absolutely, mm-hmm. you cannot. You're not going to make it um, mm-hmm. without admitting. It just just like you have to admit to God that you're not enough. Right. It's very freeing and helpful when you tell your friends the places that are, you know, that you st- we quit trying to prove to everybody that you got it all together. Right. You know, right. so anyway, practically speaking, we need to get together, but then somewhat less practically, we've got to rekindle what it means to be brothers. And this is in the great writings of, of saints and even just normal everyday guys. This is not a weird modern psycho babble thing. This right. is normal friendship. Yeah. Um, shares each other's burdens. Yeah. It's just, yeah. just, it's just, but we're not normal. <laughs> yeah, it seems like, yeah, we can live in a house and have our own entertainment. And I mean, it hit me recently, too. I was watching a documentary about, like, the What stuff. do you do all day watching these <laughs> shows? <laughs> <laughs> this was a great documentary. They go through different decades of the culture, and they talked about, like, they have one on television. And I, really, I, mean, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and it hit me as, like, everybody's like watching the same thing you're watching like happy days all in the family mm-hmm. and then you can talk about that like at, a, at the water cooler at work mm-hmm. there's a now we're so everybody can get their own entertainment and yeah. it, it sort of feeds to we can just stay hold up in our house and watch this and have our but it's own worse own. we're not just hold up in the house we're hoping yeah. our own rooms now yeah, yeah. With our own screens yeah, we That's all have our cell phones, and yeah. yeah, so there's so many things that, like, isolate us and pull us apart that we're not even talking about the same things anymore. Yeah. I mean, I, I was part of a prayer group with some couples, and um, I've been with different groups over the years, but I'd always think, well, you know, I was always thinking to myself, we've got to share deeper, you got to go deeper, and then... Finally, I just got to the point, well, just get together. You know, that, that's, yeah. a, that's a victory. Just get together, see yeah. what happens, you know, because uh, that's so important. Well, yeah. I agree. I think, you know, a moment ago I was talking about the being vulnerable, but just getting together and doing something. You know, I don't want – we can't, in a sense, go from being in our bedrooms with our own screens to uh, weeping on each other's shoulders. But that trust is built. Go do something with somebody, mm-hmm. you know, just mm-hmm. um, that, that, that's what, you know. You said, well, what's practically? It's like, just do something. Mm-hmm. I mean, right now, we're just doing nothing. But I mean, we're all busy. We're, we're yeah. killing ourselves doing things. But I mean, yeah. that naturally worthwhile thing um, yeah. is just going to be so much more life-giving. Right. Than, uh, now, part of your own story, I mean, someone listening to this, well, that's fine, easy for you to say you came from this perfect home and huh. perfect connection. Wait to your a second. Wait. <laughs> But tell us a little bit about your story. No, my family, my family is not Catholic. Right. Uh, growing up, there was no. I've heard your story. Yeah. Before, well, there, so. was, there was no church attendance. They yeah. were, they were divorced. Um, I mean, there's alcohol. There's, you know, there's a lot of my family. There's a lot of drugs, and there's not. Um, yeah, there's a lot of sin, and mm-hmm. error, and problems. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's very important that I people. Right. know that is that yeah. but you know at the same time only by grace in the light of truth um, and revelation can we come to see that even in uh, the depravity of things we, we can see the glimmer of the truth you know that yeah it ought not be this way mm-hmm. you know I remember feeling that as mm-hmm. a boy it ought not be this way so yeah. uh, 
So you're hungering for something more. Yeah, and, and I think the hunger, you know, um, and I think my, I'm, I'm, people can't see this listening, but I'm younger than you. <laughs> you said 70s and 80s. <laughs> I would say 80s and 90s for uh-huh. me. It was that. And um, we are, you know, we're, we're kind of the consequences and the casualties of the sexual revolution. Yeah. You know, we're a broken generation. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of ways to hide that. Yeah. Um, but when younger generations, younger families, when they come to the truth, they go at it full force because they have they have tasted the puddles, you know, yeah. on the ground. They want living water. They're yeah. tired of it. So, yeah, um, yeah no, it, I don't come. I don't. I didn't grow up on a farm. I mean, I live on yeah. a farm. I, I'm, yeah. I don't want people to picture a little house on the prairie. And mm-hmm. um, tell us a little bit about your back. You grew up in North Carolina, and yeah. where do you live today? Um, back in North Carolina. So <laughs> I did live. My parents were divorced, and my mother for a while. She's from North Carolina, but she was in Cincinnati for a whole another story. So I did live there. Until um, I was about 12, mm-hmm. and then I went and moved with my father, which turns out, and I describe in the book, that turned out to be the state, the time when I needed to be about my father's business. Yeah, that yeah. age it was perfect yeah. time to move. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there was some intuitive wisdom from my family, you know, like my granny and stuff. That it's, mm-hmm. and there's some problems with with me and, and uh, my mother's boyfriend at the time, and and um, it. Uh, or, you know, these, I don't quite grasp them all of them, but it was there's complexities to that. Yeah. That the answer was obviously he needs to go be with his dad. And your dad uh, was a mechanic. He was a plumber. Plumber. Okay. He was a plumber. Yeah. And uh, I'm reluctant to name just one trade because he kind of has just always been mm-hmm. in some sort of construction or mm-hmm. something. My my family in general is a I guess a slightly more academic. You know, there's like doctors and engineers uh-huh. and even clergy, Protestant clergy. Um, and he was like, uh, yeah, he's, I don't know if it was a black sheep, but he was uh-huh. the one that went out and just got to work, you know, right. dropped out of school right. and got to work. But that was really good for me. Um, uh-huh. I think what had happened in my life with, you know, just divorce and things that I had all the ingredients for trouble, you know. Um, but my dad put me to work. And it was a great gift to be able to learn skills and work and have sort of a culture, of a, kind of a southern blue-collar uh, it, you know, we talked already about it. It, it, it oriented my strength towards things. Now, it mm-hmm. wasn't, um, in my teenage years, it started going haywire really quickly and really mm-hmm. hazardously. Um, but I had the mentoring and, and the, uh, some great, it, uh, there were Protestant men that invested in me and helped me come to Christ. And the, the, obviously, I came Catholic later. But your, um, your dad took you to church then? No, or? no. How did you um, meet these men? Then? They were a part of a Protestant ministry called Young Life. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I would say that my father, what he affirmed is like a, uh, the kind of typical Southern uh, Christ-haunted South, as Flannery O'Connor would call mm. it, that there is this sort of like, you know, the Bible is absolutely true. I don't really read it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, church is good. I don't really go. <laughs> and there's a man who lives next to me, and he there's a little church up on the hill from yeah. where I live on my farm. It's a, the Church of the Brethren. It's a Protestant church mm-hmm. in a Baptist tradition. And um, he calls it my church. And he hasn't been there in uh, <laughs> I don't even know when. I mean, I, it, and it's so funny. They all, they'll call it my church. Oh, yeah. I love my church up on the hill. And they don't go, you know. So <laughs> anyway, I think that is kind of the religion I had was this. It's like not quite Christianity in the mm-hmm. South. So I think a lot of people have this image that everyone's just this yeah. Bible-thumping yeah. um, believer, but uh, that's just not true. I'm sure you've seen it yeah. uh, here in Birmingham. But anyway, so these men were um, 
a, a, a ministry that basically what they do is just they train people to just go in and their goal is to build relationships with high schoolers. And they mm -hmm. do that by just showing up at public high schools and just going into the belly of the beast. Yeah. And uh, I, he came up to me and introduced himself and I was a jerk to him and I rejected mm -hmm. him. And But he... He was an older man? He was an I'm older, goofy, like sweaty, ugly man. Yeah. Like 50s, 60s? Oh, I don't know if he was... Uh, well, at that time, he was probably like 40s or 30s. <laughs> but at that time, he was old. And, uh, but See he had glasses he gets, and he was goofy and, his, and he... And he I mean, I, I think he literally had like armpit sweat you know, that I could see. And he was just like everything that was not cool to me. Yeah. Um, but the story I tell about him is that he uh, introduced himself. I told him, a, uh, I can't remember if it was a lie or not. I don't remember exactly, but I said, or I think it was true. I have to go. It's my stepmother's birthday, which is like, I'm not, I wasn't some sort of super caring teenager that wanted uh -huh. to attend to the right. <laughs> birthday of his stepmother. <laughs> but, um, and uh, I saw him like a month later, and he said, well, how was your stepmother's birthday, Jason? And he used my name, and he remembered this thing about yeah. me. And it was just a, it was an instance of like, wow, look at how much he loves, you know. Yeah. And it was, I had plenty of popularity and friends and stuff, so I didn't, in a sense, need him. But he yeah. was looking at me with, uh, um, Joseph Ratzinger said, and uh, I mean, Pope Benedict said in Deus Caritas S that, to, to see with the eyes of Christ, to give the world the look of love they crave. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what he did. He just, mm -hmm. So that began to break down walls. We, we became friends slowly. He, uh, we went to some retreats together. And, he, and then, uh, very importantly, he didn't just get me to a camp and I had a big Jesus moment, which I did. Mm -hmm. but then afterwards, he walked, he met with me weekly. Just me, just invested in me. Wow. Um, and, and we had a Bible study. And he just taught me how just the to two be of you, huh? yeah, just wow. the two of us. And uh, now, obviously, he was starting at this this ministry at this place. He wanted it to be big, but you know, he had me there, and he just he started, and he, he met with me once a week. I mean, we're sitting here because of his investment. You know, do you still keep up with him? No, no, no. I tried to. Uh -huh. I, I actually reached out, and I make a joke. He's moving on to other teenagers now. <laughs> he doesn't care about me anymore. But, um, no, I moved away, and he, uh, you know, we just yeah. sat. But he was in my wedding. I mean, he met me at a, probably, I was probably 14 or 15 yeah. when he met me. And then when I got married hmm. later, he was a groomsman. So. And what brought you into the Catholic Church? Oh, nagging Catholic Church. <laughs> um, I, well, the, so I was involved with this ministry uh -huh. um, that he was involved with, naturally. Yeah. You know, I had my conversion through this, so I get involved. Mm -hmm. And... Um, one of the things that began to bother me was the chaos of belief. Mm. Um, I did, I liked the, the life of the mind, even like I, I wanted things to make sense, you know, faith-seeking understanding. And, mm -hmm. um, and the chaos of, we were good at reaching teenagers, of talking to them, of leading them to Jesus, mm -hmm. but like past <laughs> that, it was like whether or not they needed the baptism, <laughs> whether you really needed to go to church, <laughs> like what, everything, like past that moment, we were like, chaos <laughs> and everyone was like oh major on the major and minor on the minors and don't worry about this stuff I'm like well who gets to say what the majors are you know and um so i had sort of a crisis which i was i um solved by just being the true church myself so wherever uh -huh. i was there was the true church and i really re began to reject institutional christianity as i thought it was mm -hmm. and i guess i don't know some sort of vagabond christian hippie um mm -hmm. version of christianity and, but I did eventually, I mean, I also went to these non-denominational churches, but I attended Calvinists. I was basically a Calvinist 
So I wanted the, the strictness of Calvin, but the, uh, you know, the so-called freedom of a non-denominational yeah. free man. Uh-huh. And um, I, yeah, just to start, summarize all these moving parts, then I, I lived with some Mormons for a while in, oh. in Oregon. And they, um, <laughs> they start, we started having these debates about the divinity of Christ. And, yeah. and they, one of them said, I, it was just one of those signposts. Marcus Grote, I gave me that word, the signposts, like uh-huh. that thing, like, wait, what? Uh-huh. And he said, well, this can be solved on authority, but the only two people claiming authority are us Mormons and the Catholics. <laughs> and I, uh, I cannot tell you how, like, both of those groups were so off my radar of true Christians that it uh-huh. was just like, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, uh-huh. it is definitely not you, and it is definitely <laughs> not the Catholics. I mean, they, you know, they're just working their way to heaven. They're just, uh-huh. you know, nut jobs. But um, What drew you to the Mormons? I wasn't drawn to them. I was... I was um, uh, I was assigned to a room with, I was doing an internship and oh. uh, I just had six of the other guys on this internship happened to be Mormons because they oh. were from Utah. Oh, okay. um, so it was a horticulture institute uh, oh, internship okay. and it was just, okay. I was working at a nursery and oh. they were all Mormons and it, you know, came up that they were heretics. So <laughs> <laughs> um, we just started debating, but they brought up this issue of authority mm-hmm. and I, long story short, I stopped really believing in sola scriptura. It didn't make sense. And then I started yeah. thinking about this whole authority thing. And then I yeah. picked up one day, I had a Catholic, it's actually my mother. She became Catholic in this period. Huh. Um, and she had given me a book that was sitting on my shelf. Uh, so you can thank her too. She mm-hmm. gave me this book and it was like a book about the communion of the saints. It wasn't even a, you know, some, this is why the church, it was just one little yeah. kind of yeah. piece of apologetics. But I was so taken by the like, oh gosh, they actually have, you know, reasons for believing what they believe. And then from there, you know, Chesterton says you can't, you can't even let the church get a foot in the door. She's coming mm-hmm. in. You know? So <laughs> uh, from there, I just, I kept, I had originally read the apologetics books to sort of try to prove wrong. Right. And it, it didn't work out. Yeah. Um, so yeah. from there, I was not an excited convert. I was not, yeah. I didn't want the church to be the true church mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't want to become a catholic because where i was at the time they looked so dead like why mm-hmm. do i want to join that just, yeah um and uh yeah sometimes some things are more or less the same sometimes and then what led you into like a ministry with men and fathers and well because of the background in the youth thing uh-huh. i got involved with catholic youth ministry and mm-hmm. uh whoo that was something um and then I eventually got actually got a job at a parish, and it I became I just started observing that, wow! It seems like the kids that are rock solid, their dads are rock solid, and it seems that the kids are not, are, their dads are not, hmm. and especially for boys, and so just becoming aware, and then um, somebody had the guy Justin Byance, who was the founder of Fraternus, he began discussing this idea for Turnus with me and it just just really clicked that mm. it, it, it sounds so it's like such a duh thing but nobody was doing it that mm. we need to be bringing boys together to be mentored by the men mm. so they can kind of guide them into the way of virtue and it's like it seems so yeah of course but it just wasn't happening anywhere yeah. so it was basically so I got I became a Catholic, got involved with youth ministry, then just sort of by observation. I mean, my opinion now is that with boys, so depending on what you think the goal of youth ministry as it is today is, as a means to bring boys into mature 
manhood is not working very well. It's not mm -hmm. a good strategy. Mm -hmm. A co-ed environment through adolescence where you kind of do childish things and mm -hmm. then have a Jesus talk at the end. It's, I'm not saying that's all bad. Yeah. Um, it's not all bad. I mean, it's general, but it's yeah. not, the end is not becoming a man. Mm -hmm. um, you can have a study for men and watch Braveheart or whatever, mm -hmm. but it's, there's something missing if you don't mm -hmm. have these rites of passage mm -hmm. parts to it, which they don't necessarily. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily have it. But uh, getting involved with um, the youth ministry and then in fraternus, and then, then I decided to go get my master's at the AI, and then I just kind of dove deep into um, this man problem and, and AI is the Augustine Institute. Sorry. Oh, okay. The Augustine yeah. Institute. So I w when they were, I went actually lived in Denver when they were mm. in, the, in their first building. Their grad, this is starting the graduate school, and so that was just that, and that kind of colored my. Um, that was basically what I pursued in, in my studies. There was just what's going on with men exactly? Why? Because mm -hmm. even though I was doing fraternity and I was seeing the fruits of it, I didn't understand why it was working and mm -hmm. why. You know, I just wanted to understand more. Yeah, yeah. And I guess eventually that's what kind of, eventually you think about something long enough, I guess you have to write a book. Right. So, <laughs> And let me ask you, too, you had, you had a great description of, like, you, you choose to live in kind of western North Carolina. How do you describe that Appalachian culture there? Why do you like it? Well, it's a culture. I think mm -hmm. there's a, we were discussing it's it's isolated. It was isolated so for so long that it developed its own music, its own food, uh, its own way of life that was mm -hmm. unique. And it's, it's, it's not really um, easily uh, translated other places because it's a particular place. It's the way of life in hills and mm -hmm. the way they farmed hills and the way they, um, you know, the, even yodeling, the way they yelled from one yeah. hill to another and, and yeah. uh, communicating. And uh, I just like that there's a culture. It seems like yeah. um, small town agrarian based cultures have a human culture that can be built up to something more beautiful whereas I guess I, I have a friend if he's listening he's gonna get he, th he says I'm always putting down the suburbs but if you're in the suburbs I mean you're gonna have your you know you're gonna have your McDonald's and your Red Lobster and your Walmart <laughs> and your Target it's all just so bland and um, non-distinct yeah. non-distinct mm -hmm. and it's all the same yeah. You know, I mean, you go into any city, I mean, you probably travel around a little mm -hmm. bit for a retreat. You go into any city, and it's like the repetition of itself. And yeah. so there's nothing particular about it. So it's kind of hard to, how do you develop a flourishing human culture in a mm -hmm. place where there's not one? Yeah. Where it's just mass yeah. amusement and consumption. Yeah. yeah. Uh, whereas everyone listens to the same music, watches the same shows, eats at the same mm -hmm. places, shops at the same mm -hmm. things. and So yeah. I love Appalachia because it, it's a place with yeah. And my kids, you know, they're they're learning instruments, and of course we want them to know how to do classical stuff. But man, I can't wait till they can play the fiddle, like a, <laughs> you know. And my, my my youngest son is playing the uh, the ukulele, which is kind of a precursor for the banjo. And yeah. it's just it's such a delight. That's interesting what you say about because uh, I grew up in North Alabama. We'd go up there as Boy Scouts and do you know hiking and canoeing and stuff. And it is so hilly. And I was up there a couple years ago giving a retreat. I couldn't believe, like, the hills, like, just to go up something yeah. and down. And it just, you just, like, discover this whole new little hamlet, you know, over yeah. here. And, uh, and it is. It has, even the geography has a way of... Yeah. You know, I'm, a, I'm in the foothills, so I'm not in one of those yeah. little picturesque valleys. But yeah. 
everywhere you go, the mountains are there. So there's always yeah. this kind of Shire-esque yeah. nestling of, yeah. but even where I am, I know, um, yeah, just over the hill at our, at our old farm, it, it, on the other side of it was this valley that you never would have known was there because there's a, yeah. our kids, you know, they call it, it's called the Smoky Mountains. They call them the Misty Mountains, which is what Tolkien oh. called the, that's what the oh, mountains that the oh. Hobbit had to go through. Okay. And they, they say, this is what Tolkien meant. <laughs> I, uh, these are the, and we've been to Col- we, we lived in Colorado when I was at the mm-hmm. Augustine Institute, and those mountains are different. They're rugged. They're big. They're dry. They're dry. imposing. Uh, I went to school in Denver for college. I remember driving out there, and all of a sudden it hit me. I see how they call them Rocky Mountains because you just there's not the vegetation that yeah. the Smokies have. They're not covered yeah. with trees. The Smokies are like a mossed over yeah. rock. It's, like, <laughs> it's very green, and yeah, that's what a lot of people say. Visit it's so green. Right and now, lush. springtime's it's coming. Lush. It's, yeah. it's been beautiful. And the the music, um, we were talking about some of the the gospel, spiritual music has a great quality to it. You you enjoy that? I music? love it. Yeah. I, mean, I think, you know, the the <clears throat> the South has been a treasure for American culture because <coughs> you know country music is still the most listened to thing, and that um, you know was really born out of the Carter family, and the Carter family was literally just hillbillies in Western North Carolina that developed this sound um, and it has the history of, of the, the slaves being brought over there and their instruments and the banjos being formed out of the instruments that they had made out of gourds and then the Scotch-Irish were up in the mountains and they had sort of their music and all these things converge and come together and uh, I, I just it's just a unique thing it's not mm-hmm. repeatable I mean you couldn't yeah I mean maybe you could have an Appalachian actually when I was in Oregon there was a uh, North Carolina uh, restaurant. It was dedicated to only North Carolina <laughs> food from North Carolina, and uh, he came out. The owner came out. He found out I was from North Carolina, and he was having me like judge everything and how. It <laughs> which of course was barbecue, pigs, and yeah. Uh, in North Carolina, I don't know if you know, but everyone at most other states, the barbecue is like a verb. Like let's barbecue some chicken, uh-huh. right? But in North Carolina, barbecue is a noun. It's a particular dish. It's pulled pork uh-huh. uh, with vinegar-based yeah. barbecue sauce. Well. Some people use tomato, but they're heretics. But it's vinegar-based <laughs> barbecue sauce and collard greens. And, you know. Now, you have a Catholic church near you where you're at? We have a great, yeah, we have a great little church, St. John the Baptist in Tryon. Oh. Um, and sometimes we drive to Prince of Peace and Taylor's, which is yeah. just a little bit further away, mm-hmm. but St. John's is our technical parish. And yeah. It's just a little, I almost don't want to say it out loud. It's a great little, it's a beautiful, <laughs> I don't want people to flock there. <laughs> um I won't complain about Yankees moving there. <laughs> no, but they it's a good little parish. We have a great priest right now who's and we've had a good string of good Yeah. So, and it's a beautiful place. It actually was renovated. It was kind of one of these bland stucco buildings for a uh-huh. while with the table up front and it was renovated by a parishioner mm-hmm. who was a great woodworker and actually mm-hmm. doing that church launched his career as like this is what he's doing now. Oh, wow. uh, but it's a beautiful I mean, if you Google it, it's just a, wow, that, that little thing's in the middle of this tiny town. and Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we have a little parish right there. All right. And just uh, last question, what uh, do you have some more plans? What's the next project for you or just more? Well, we're still getting the, um, you know, we've been doing fraternities, but the St. Joseph's Farm, which is stjosephsfarm.com, mm-hmm. um, we're trying, I'm, I'm finding a lot of fruitfulness myself my family and even and the people that come and doing these farm-based retreats yeah. for especially the father and son's one yeah. I really like doing those yeah. Um, yeah that's so that's what we're focusing on we actually run a small grade-a dairy too so mm. if you're passing through come buy some yogurt from 
Once Upon a Cow Micro Dairy. You make the yogurt. Huh? Yeah. Oh. So <laughs> my wife was listening to you and said, what's your next project? She said, none. No more. <laughs> yeah, we're going to grow the babies. And, uh, we're, yeah, come by. And, we're putting in fences. And we've got plans. But now they're all in a particular place, you know, not just. So I'm not coming back here to Birmingham to do any more interviews. i got to stay home and milk the cow. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for, for coming and doing some shows. It's been great visiting with you. Thank you.